You're listening to The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a weekly poker podcast by students of the game for students of the game. Join Dell and guests in conversations about poker theory and bridging the gap between theory and application. We're all in this together. This week's topic, can you be a low stakes pro? All right. Hello. So first thing I want to do is I want to apologize. We've had some technical difficulties trying to get a podcast recorded this week. Originally, I was recording this episode with Christine, and something happened with her audio files. They were corrupted. So we're going to try to make sure that we have backups next time. So for those that were hoping to listen to Christine this week, I'm sorry. Uh, She'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about what it takes to be a low-stakes pro. So I'm going to continue with that, and I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to share some of the stuff that Christine shared with me, who is a low-stakes pro, you know, which was one of the first things we wanted to address. Is it possible to be a low-stakes pro? And the answer is, yes, it is possible. What has to happen, though, is you have to be professional. Then That's the very first thing, is you have to be professional in your behavior in order to be a low-stakes pro. So what does that mean? What that means is you have to get up and put the volume in. You have to play discipline. You have to, you know, have good money management. There's several things that go into it, and I'm going to talk a little bit about those things here in a few minutes. Another thing is, what's the definition of a low-stakes pro? What defines low stakes? And for the purpose of this episode, low stakes are going to be 1-2, 1-3, and 2-5, no limit hold'em. So, some could argue that 510 is low stakes, but when you get to 510, you're starting to look at mid stakes and you're starting to make pretty healthy living there. So, what do we need to do in order to be a low stakes pro? You know, what are those metrics? It's not easy. First of all, let me make that clear. It's not easy. You're going to have to put in a significant amount of volume because the amount that you're winning is less than obviously at higher stakes. So, one big blind per hour at 100 200 would be $200. If you're making one big blind an hour at 100 200 which is mid-stakes level, that's significantly better than 10 big blinds an hour at 1-2, where you're only making $20 an hour. So I make $28 an hour playing 1-2 and 1-3. That's over the last five years. So uh, there's some results there and some hands that have been put in. But is it enough to make $28 an hour and be able to say you can make a living at it? Well, I can make more money in my current job than I can playing professional at low stakes poker because there's certain things that you have to take into account. I say I make $28 an hour playing low stakes poker, but that doesn't take into account the amount of time I'm spending studying. That doesn't take in the amount of time that I'm driving to the uh, casino, it does not take into account the amount of money I've spent on gas. And when it all gets said and done, I'm probably really making about $14 an hour. And it doesn't take into account this. So if you're the main person in your family for providing health insurance, which most of my listeners are U.S. listeners, so insurance is not guaranteed to us. So that was one of the things where 
Christine's a low stakes pro. She's a low stakes pro in Canada. And the big difference is, is that Christine does not have to pay insurance out of her pocket. If you have to pay insurance out of your pocket, well, $28 starts looking more like $10 an hour and minimum wage is better than that. The other thing is, what are you going to do for benefits as far as retirement goes? You know, generally you go to a job, you might have 401k or you might have an annuity. Pensions have gone away for most people, but as a union carpenter, I have a pension that every hour I work gets put into that pension. Every hour I work gets put into my annuity. None of that gets done at poker. You have to do that all yourself. All of that is really discouraging. And I don't want people to be discouraged because you can be a low stakes pro. It really just all this stuff has to be taken into account before you can say, I'm a low stakes pro. I'm going to just make a living playing poker. There's a lot of discipline required because you've got to ensure that you're putting the money where it needs to go and you're not touching it. So one of my big problems, I have a big problem that has held me back from becoming a low stakes pro. And one of those problems is that I do not have discipline around my bankroll. If Terry and I want to go out, have dinner, I will sometimes reach into my bankroll to pay for dinner. And that's if you do that, your bankroll is going to suffer and you're going to suffer. So what you have to do is you have to keep your house money, your house money. You need to keep your bankroll, your bankroll money. You know, and there's a lot of ways to go about that. But one of the best ways is just you just automatically have a separate account and you don't draw out of it. So that's what I've started doing because I'm I'm tired of holding myself back, you know, and that's the truth. Most of us are going to hold ourselves back from being able to do this. We take that, we put it in an account, we leave it alone. It's there to play poker. Of course, at some point we want a drawing out of it. And how do we go about taking that drawing out? Sebastian, he's been a guest here. He's got an interesting thing where when he wins a session, he has everything divvied up. 10% goes into the house account. 10% goes towards this. And the rest goes into the account. And you can divvy that up however you want, but you have to stick to it. Most of it needs to be going back into your bankroll because you want to grow your bankroll because you don't want to be a low stakes pro forever. What you want to do is you want to be able to move up in stakes. Most of us, let me rephrase that because you may not want to. You might be very perfectly happy playing one, two, winning 10 to 15 big blinds an hour, which would be crushing one, two, by the way. You're crushing one, two, and you're perfectly happy because your needs are met and you don't really want to put the effort in. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's a lot of people who talk down about that. Really, the most important thing here is your your happiness quotient. And if if that's what makes you happy, it's okay. That's fine. But most of us want to move up in stakes because the goal is to have a certain level of financial freedom and autonomy in our lives. So in order to do that, we will eventually want to move up. We want to move up to 2.5, which is where we can really start to look at it and say, okay, I can really make a living at this. And then we really want to move on to 5.10, where we can say, not only am I making a living at this, but I'm making a good living at it. And from there on, it, it's it, you're, you're looking at a situation where you have a lot of freedom. You can travel when you want. Um, you can... And these are the reasons we want to play poker professionally, right, is the freedom. If you're playing poker because you think you're going to get rich, well, 
most professional poker players are not rich. Most professional poker players are just like everybody else. They go to a job every day, they put their work in, and they get paid. The difference is if you work a 40-hour-a-week job, you know you're going to get paid that week. If you work 40 hours at poker, you do not know that you're getting paid that week. You only know that you're going to average a certain amount over time, and you can only know that by putting in a lot of volume. And even that is hard to predict because if you start putting in a lot of volume and you put in a lot of study with it, what happens is that you're going to take and be at one point, you're going to be making a certain amount per hour. And 40,000 hands later, you're going to be making a different amount per hour. And it may be better or worse, and it really depends on if you stayed ahead of the field or if you didn't. So a lot of that there's a lot of unpredictability with the professional poker career, which is why we have to protect that bankroll. I've covered why we want to be a low stakes pro and we want to start getting some freedom in our lives. There may be different reasons. I think the best reason to become a low stakes pro, by the way, though, is because you love the game. Because if you don't love the game, then it's just like any other job. And it, why? You know, don't don't work a job that you don't love. We've talked about bankroll management. We've talked about discipline. Um, discipline is in every facet of poker, though, because I talked about discipline around bankroll. But if the thing is that at low stakes, the rake is such a high percentage of every pot that another thing that we have to consider is discipline on the table. If we're playing too many hands, it's important to remember, when you're playing too many hands, you're paying more rake because you're in the pot more often. And the, and the worst part of that is that you're probably losing a higher percentage of pots. So now you're losing a higher percentage of pots and you're paying more rake. Now, I don't want to encourage anybody to go out and be a net because you, you're not going to make enough money to make a living being a net. But you can't be too loose either. Even a good lag. And they, they're going to make the most money. But even a good lag has a constructed range and they don't play outside that constructed range and even a even a lag is going to a good lag let me be clear is going to take and have a significant difference in the amount of hands they play from under the gun as they do from the button so we don't want to be playing too many hands at low stakes because we're paying a, playing a higher rake we don't want to be playing too many hands because let me express this. When I say too many, I mean literally too many. We still want to play a good portion of hands, right? But we don't want to be playing too many hands at low stakes because that's one of our biggest advantages over the other players at low stakes is that they all want to play too many hands. They all want to see cheap flops. Um, we don't want to be giving cheap flops. We have to have discipline at every facet in poker. If you want to be a low stakes pro, you have to have discipline in tracking your wins and losses. So what happens is a lot of people, it's easy to track the wins. It's just, it's even exciting to track the wins. When we start putting in our, whether it be an app that we use to track or we use a spreadsheet, when we start putting that money in for that, there's even that little bit of dopamine rush we get because we get to relive that whole moment of winning that money. What a lot of people do is... They don't put in 
the losing session. It's harder. They'll, I'll put it in the losing session later. I'm, I can't do it right now. I'm going to put it in later. And the problem with that is, is they end up not putting it in. And they get to lie to themselves about what their real win rate is. And when we're doing that, you cannot afford to do that as a pro because there's such a narrow margin at low stakes that if you're making mistakes, if you're making a lot of mistakes, you're not going to make it as a low stakes pro. And if you can't make it as a low stakes pro, you are not going to make it as a mid stakes pro or as a high stakes pro. So you have to be disciplined with your tracking. You have to be disciplined with your play at the table. You have to be disciplined with your bankroll. So if you are a person who is not very disciplined, you pretty much have two choices when it comes to being a low stakes pro. And the first one is to not do it. And the other one is to build up your discipline. It can be built up. It's not easy. I've been working on building up my discipline now for about three years. And I'm much more disciplined at my life and at poker than I've ever been before. I just mentioned that if you can't make it at, as a low stakes pro, you won't make it as a mid stakes pro and as a high stakes pro. Now, I am sure that there is going to be somebody who's going to say, wait, no, I know this person. They started right out as a high stakes pro or whatever. Most of us are not going to be able to do that. And the thing is that it's funny how many people lie to themselves. Matter of fact, I would say most poker players at some point in time tell this lie to themselves. They say they know they could beat 2-5. They can't beat 1-2 or 1-3 because nobody folds. And they know they could beat 2-5 where people would respect the raises. You can't. You can't. If you cannot beat 1-2, 1-3, you probably cannot beat 2-5. Now, I'm sure there's exceptions to that. But for the most part, that's going to be the truth. The basics are the basics. And they're the basics at every level. And I can tell you that I've talked to a lot of players that play mid-stakes and high-stakes. And I can tell you they all tell me the same thing. That the higher up you go the more the basics matter, the more important the basics are. So we go right back to the fact that if you can't apply the basics at low stakes, you're not going to be able to apply them at, at any other level either. So we got to get that down. So what are some of the things that, you know, I know people have done to make it as low stakes pros? And I will say that there's going to be a common story between me, Christine, and Carlos Welch, who is uh, he's a co-host for the Thinking Poker podcast. And Carlos started out his career by living in his vehicle so he could play poker professionally. So, And he's a tournament player, and he's taken and turned it into a living. He now makes a good living playing poker. Christine, when she started out, she had to travel four hours to go play poker, and she would stay in her van during the week so she didn't have to pay rent on two different places or didn't have to pay for room so she could build up her bankroll, and now she makes a living, her living almost exclusively through poker. I'm going to tell you right now, I live in the back of my truck during the week, and I do that because I don't want to take and put too much of my paycheck towards uh, hotel rooms and stuff like that. And also, it helps me put more money towards my bankroll so that I can take and get to the point where I have a comfortable enough bankroll to take and uh, move forward with my poker career. Do you have to live in the in your car in order to make it happen? No, you don't. Uh, I bring that up. I, I talk about that because 
one of the things you have to do is you're going to have to find a way to make sure that your expenses are minimal. If you live three hours from a casino and you're driving to the casino every day, that's a lot out of your bankroll. That's a lot out of being able to, your win rate, to be able to take and build your bankroll. So we end up having to make sacrifices someplace, you know, whether it's making sure that we're not spending all the winnings on, on frivolous stuff. We have to minimize those expenses as much as we can, especially at low stakes. So one of the things that Christine and I had talked about when we originally tried to record this was why some players don't move up. And I, I talked earlier, some players just don't want to, but sometimes it's a fear thing. And this can prevent you from becoming a pro and it can keep you from moving up. You're afraid that you're not good enough. You're afraid that, that you'll fail. And, and I'm going to tell you that this has been something that's held me back is a fear of failure. So the thing to do here is to find a way to not live in that fear, right? There, it's not that the here's the thing, like people will talk about fear as though it's always a bad thing. And it isn't, you know, there's a reason why as human beings, we have fear in our lives, right? It, it's supposed to prevent us from doing uh, things that can get us killed, to get us hurt. And, and in the case of going for something like being a professional poker player from keeping us from failing. But the problem is, is if we fear failure, then we will not succeed. So there's certain things that it's good to fear. It's good to fear whether or not we're going to uh, lose the rent money. It's good to fear that you shouldn't play with the rent money. So if you're not playing because you're going to play with the rent money and you're afraid you're going to lose it, then don't play, right? As far as fear of failure, the only thing it ever does is keep us from succeeding, all right? So we have to be willing to fail if we're going to succeed. So that therein lies the truth. So the very first thing when you're thinking about being low stakes pro is you've got to get over the fear of failure. And the other thing you have to do is if you're thinking about moving up is you've got to get over the fear of failure. There, there's, it's definitely easier to do one than the other, right? When we're moving up and we have a fear of failure, if we move up, say, to 2-5, and we fail, well, we just go back down to one, two, one, three. So that failure is probably easier to deal with than the failure of we're going to be a, a professional and we're starting out at one, two, one, three. Because that failure, there's no place to go down to. There's no place to take a step back and say, okay, I failed, but I'm going to regroup, I'm going to rework my plan, and then go back up. It's, it's a lot harder. Obviously, there's a difference in the level of, of which one is harder to get over, but the truth is that it's still the same principle. If you fear failure, you won't do what you need to to succeed. Let's talk about that. There's this notion that there's no one, two, uh, one, three pros out there. I'm, I'm going to tell you that there are. There's probably more in Canada than there is in the U.S., percentage-wise, but I don't know that. I'm just guessing, and the only reason I say that is because, uh, like I said before, uh, U.S. Pro has to do something to uh, make up for the health care. But they're there, right? And I was, I'm going to tell you something. I, I was at a table one night, and a guy was talking about he was going to turn pro, and the man next to him said, 
well, you can't do that at one, two. The rake's too high. You'll never beat the rake. This is just not true. Okay, this is just not true. The rake plays a huge effect. We always want to be choosing uh, games that are less rake. There certainly will be this, that the rake has less of an effect at 2.5 than it does at 1.2. It has an even less effect at 5.10. Usually at 5.10, you get to pay a time rake as opposed to a pot rake. There's definitely differences there. But the rake at 1.2, in the United States anyways, is not such that you can't beat it. You can beat it. The question is, are you good enough to beat it? And this is important because you have to be good enough to beat that rake because that's part of it. But if you're good enough to beat that rake and you're disciplined enough, yes, there are one, two pros. And eventually those one, two pros, most of them will become two, five pros. They're there. They're there um, and you can do it. Is it common? No. Is it hard? Is it hard to make a living at one, two? Yes, it absolutely is. Again, when I originally recorded this with Christine, there was some conversation about why I haven't gone pro yet. And I'm going to share some of that here. I've already shared the fact that I, up until recently, was not very disciplined with my bankroll. I've made the changes necessary there. The other part has been fear, which I've talked about. I've had some fear of failure um, because if I fail, what, where do I go, right? This is a little silly because I've really crushed one, two, and one, three over the last five years. So it's, you know, I, I, it's not a skill thing. I know I can beat the rake. I've fixed my discipline problems with my bankroll. I would say that I've greatly improved my uh, game over that time so that that's much more disciplined. My understanding of poker has grown and is continuing to grow. So what's left to stop me? Well, I am married, so everything I do requires that I take my spouse into consideration. Now, my my spouse, Terry, is, is very supporting of my poker career. At the same point in time, I have to make sure that I provide insurance for both of us um, because that my job is what provides that insurance at this time. In, on top of that, the other thing is that we have a plan in place for me to do it. We're following that plan. And up until recently, I didn't have a plan. And that's another thing you need is you need a plan. It needs to be a good plan. I recommend, though, the thing is, do we know a plan is good until we check it through somebody else? And the answer is no. So. Um, I've checked my plan through other people. I know that they believe it's good. I believe it's good. And it's going to be a process over the next uh, six months to a year, but it's going to happen. And it has to happen in a way that takes her needs into consideration because I'm married. Now, my kids are growing up, so I don't have to consider those. But for some people, that's going to be a consideration, too. It was a consideration for Christine. Um, you know, Jordan Sweet has a child. Sebastian, who I mentioned earlier as a child, um, there's a lot of pro professional poker players out there with children. It's not that it's not possible, but it's another thing to take into account. You have to make sure that you're not hurting your family by doing what, what you want to do. It's fine to love poker, but if becoming a professional poker player means that your family suffers, I feel personally that it's unethical to do. 
Not everybody's going to agree with me there, and you don't have to, but it's what I feel like, and that's one of the things that has kept me from just jumping into it. Now my kids are grown. My wife supports me. There's a plan in place, and, and it's going to happen. I don't really have anything more to say today on this. I'm sorry that it's just been my voice, and I hope that I really hope that uh, I've shared something that is going to help you in your decision on this. And until next week, you know, thank you for joining me, and, and have a great week, and have some positive variants and good play. This has been the Blind Stealing the Blinds, a weekly poker podcast for students of the game by students of the game. When you're not stacking your chips, please feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get yours. Recommend the show to your favorite donkey, fish, or whale, and head over to tbstv.com support to show the crew some love. Until next week, stick to the plan, and may all your variants be positive.